we gather here this morning, we praise your name for giving us a time where we can come together and be encouraged by your word, that we can find rest in your word. And so, Father, I want to pray for the believers here this morning, my brothers and sisters, that you would use this time to encourage those that need encouragement. Convict those that have been living in sin and bring hope to those that don't see any. Would you use this time to rebuke those that believe they are Christians when they know that they're not, when they're trying to just put on an act? Would you lead those that do not know you to yourself? Would you reveal your glory? Father, please allow us to have fruit. Allow us to understand your word this morning more. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 says this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Today we will be starting our journey through the gospel according to Luke. This will take us nearly two years to do so, and some of you may be like, oh wow, that is a long time. But the reason why that is, is because we're going to break off and do some mini-series here and there about um, the local church, about worship, about all of those awesome things. But I am so incredibly excited to be diving through the gospel according to Luke 1 because it's very personal to me. But two, because I think it will be edifying to us as a church. However, before I dive into the passage today, what I want to do is just lay out a little bit for us and give us some background into Luke and this gospel. Luke, by trade, was a physician. He was a doctor, which is important to know because that means he was first educated and second, had some money. This is important because back then, not everybody was educated. See, the education that Luke got allowed him to learn how to write. And the money that Luke had allowed him to buy parchment or paper and utensils to write with. See, unlike in today's times where I could go to the printer, pull out a piece of paper, and just start writing, that wasn't a luxury 
that Luke had back then. When people wrote stuff down, it was the most sincere way of saying what has been written down, I want to preserve and keep for a lifetime because it is important. And so what Luke did is he got rid of or he abandoned his trade of being a doctor and pursued one of a journalist going around interviewing eyewitnesses and those that had ministered alongside the word. And because of that, we get one book. Because of the influence of the Holy Spirit, Luke penned the book, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. We have just decided to break up the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts because it helps us understand all that has been accomplished a little bit more easily. See, in part one of Luke's writing, the gospel of Luke, he focuses on the establishment and the accomplishment of the life of Jesus and the church. And in part two, in Acts, it focuses on the function, and the role of the church. So if you're in here today and you're thinking, what can I read for a devotion? Read the Gospel of Luke and Acts together. You'll find that it's quite amazing when you do that. But in the passage that we will be looking at today, Luke undertakes something that many in his time tried to capture the historical events that took place by interviewing eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. He did this by following everything as closely as he could from the start to the finishes, the finish of Jesus' life and ministry. Why? So that he could present this in an orderly fashion to the most excellent Theophilus, which means, which is a name for lover of God or friend of God. He did this so that Theophilus could have certainty concerning the things that were taught to him. I once read a story of an old dead Sunday school teacher who was trying to make a point to his class about faith and God's truth. How when God says that faith is a free gift, it is true because God's word cannot lie. So the story goes like this. One morning, the Sunday school teacher went to a nearby shop. He went to a nearby shop to pick out an expensive and beautiful pocket watch. And as he got to the Sunday school class, and as he was teaching through faith and God's truth, he had the boys line up in a row. And he took out this beautiful and expensive pocket watch. 
And he went up to the first boy and he said, if you would like this pocket watch, just take it from my hands. It's yours. Well, the boy looked at the pocket watch and he said, oh, this is too beautiful for me to have. I cannot take that pocket watch from you. So the Sunday school teacher went up to the second boy. If you'd like this pocket watch here, take it. Well, the second boy looked at the pocket watch and said, I have done nothing to deserve of this pocket watch. Let me work for it. So the Sunday school teacher went boy after boy after boy freely giving this pocket watch to the one who would just reach out and take it. And boy after boy after boy did not trust in the Sunday school's teacher's word. They did not trust that what he was saying was true. That is, until he came to the boy who had some raggedy old clothes on, who wasn't as sharp as the other boys, and he took that pocket watch and he placed it in front of him and he said, if you'd like this pocket watch, go ahead and take it. And the boy looked up at the pocket watch, took it, and proceeded to trust the man's words and found his seat at his desk. I wonder how many of us come to God's word like the first few boys in the Sunday school. I wonder how many of us come to God's word with a lack of trusting it looking over it, but not understanding that the creator of the universe speaks truth through it. I wonder how many of us lack trust that God's word is fully true without error. What Luke is telling us this morning is that since God's word is true, we can have certainty concerning the things that are written in it. Ah, but you may be thinking, how is God's word true? How can we have certainty in God's word? Well, God's word is true because all, uh, God's word is true because what has been accomplished. I want to briefly read the verses over again, starting in verse 1. In as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, 
most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So what has been accomplished? This is the first question that we must ask coming to this passage. The reason for this is because if nothing had been accomplished, then why would a man who was a doctor completely abandon all of that to pursue a lifestyle of journalism, traveling from place to place, interviewing eyewitnesses? Why would a man give up that life to make interviews, to check his sources, to become friends with those that looked and were viewed as just completely out of their minds. So what has been accomplished? Well, Acts 3.18, Peter tells us a little bit. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Jesus has accomplished all that the prophets had spoken of, that there would be a suffering servant who would come and be a friend of sinners, who would be a friend of the cultural outcasts. The Son of God came to earth to be the fulfillment of all that had been written about him. This is why we took some time to look at the covenants. Because all that the prophets had spoken of was accomplished in Jesus. Do you know what specifically was accomplished by Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God, came down to live with his creation. Becoming friends of sinners. Living a perfect life according to the law. Being unjustly accused. Dying on the cross because of our sin. Facing the wrath of God that we deserve. Dying. Rising three days later, so that those that repent of their sins and trust in him could have everlasting life with our great King Jesus. This is the gospel. Amen. But you may be thinking, how do we know this? has actually been accomplished. Luke tells us. Luke tells us. He has interviewed eyewitnesses. He has interviewed ministers 
of the word. Luke did this in order to write an orderly account for Theophilus. Not an account of fluff, not an account of false stories or fake news, but one that took time. It took order. It took going and asking those that had said they were with and saw the life and ministry of Jesus. This is exactly what John tells us in 1 John, is it not? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. When a good journalist is doing their job, They are gathering the facts. They are checking their sources and then rechecking and rechecking their sources again, making sure that there are no holes. They're looking closely and asking. Luke tells us that he did this from the beginning to the end. giving detail after detail. And oh, as we continue through this gospel, we will see some pretty extraordinary details that could only come from eyewitnesses. Lee Strobel was an award-winning legal editor at the Chicago Tribune. He also happened to be, during that time, a very headstrong atheist who did not believe in the existence of God and thought those who did were fools. And as his wife became a Christian, he set out on a journey to prove her wrong. And so with his journalism expertise and his sources... He set up meetings with some of the most prestigious professors out there, professors who were not Christians. And after going from place to place, talking to professor after professor, Lee Strobel was faced with a dilemma. He was faced with that Jesus is a true man who truly lived and truly died. And that the Bible is the most accurate historical text that we have in the world. So Jesus is truly real, and the Bible is the most historically accurate text we have. And so Lee Strobel was faced with a dilemma. What do I do with the life and ministry of Jesus? More specifically, what do I do with his resurrection? If Jesus actually lived... 
And the Bible is the most reliable source that we have in history. By far, we have about 5,000 manuscripts of different texts. And the closest one after that is about 400 to 500. And so Lee Strobel was faced with this dilemma. What do I do with the resurrection? If Jesus really lived and Jesus truly died, and the Bible is that historically accurate, then according to Lee Strobel, the resurrection must be true. Which makes everything what Christ did and say true. It must make what has been written down in the Bible true. Do we trust the reliability of God's word? Or do we come to it like a textbook looking for answers to make it seem like we know what the Bible talks about? Do we come to God's word as a self-help book looking for vague verses instead of fully trusting in the full context and the truth of God's word? We right now are faced with the same dilemma as Lee Strobel. Because it would be a foolish thing to bank your eternity that God does not exist by never actually looking at God's word. I know for myself, I'd been a Christian for six years and I came across this little book called Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. And after reading that book, what I had realized is I was not trusting in the full counsel of God's Word. I was picking and choosing what to trust and what to ignore. Do you do that, brother or sister? Do you come to God's Word only trusting what you want to trust? instead of coming to it as the word of God without error or blemish? That's what I realized I was doing. And oh, what a blessing it's been to take God's word and open it up and know, even when I am not feeling it, I still can know that God's word is true. So if God's word is true, then what does this mean for us? Well, since God's word is true, we can have certainty in what has been written. The end of verse 3 and beginning of verse 4, Luke says, Most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So who can have certainty? 
Luke is writing to Theophilus in this passage and telling him that he has written an orderly account in order that he can have certainty in the things that he was taught. So everything that has been accomplished, Theophilus, you can have certainty. Do you know what's interesting about the name Theophilus? I briefly mentioned it earlier. Theophilus, most scholars don't know if that was an actual person or if Luke is writing to the church because Theophilus' name literally means either lover of God or friend of God. You choose the one you want. Are you a friend of God? Are you a lover of God? Whether Luke was writing to an actual person or if he's actually writing to the church shouldn't be the big thing on our mind. What should be is that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write to somebody named the friend or lover of God. However, there's a problem. We have a problem. Not that the word of God is not true, but we have a problem. Because we don't always trust in the certainty of God's word, do we? And so why don't I have certainty in God's word. I'll put it bluntly. I'll put it straightforward for us. It's our sin and pride. It was sin and pride where Adam and Eve did not trust in the words of God. Remember? I have given you all things, Adam and Eve, for you to enjoy, but just please stay away from that tree. Everything is yours except for that one thing. But pride and sin came into their hearts, preventing them from trusting in God's words. It is sin and pride in our lives that cause us to not trust in the words of God. And so we can come to the word of God thinking two different things. Either one, God can't truly be real, which we briefly discussed and saw how this is impossible. Or two, it's that sin and pride caused me to think, I know better, God. I know better, God, that I am to love my neighbor, but you don't know them. Oh God, I know that I am not supposed to be anxious, but you don't know my situation. You can't relate. God, I know I'm supposed to be slow to anger, but they are just jerks. I know, God, that I'm not supposed to get drunk or high, but my problems are just too much to handle. Oh God, I know that I am not supposed to look at women or men with lust. But I've been just too stressed out. And my spouse just isn't fulfilling me. 
God, I, I know that I'm supposed to be a disciple who makes disciples, but I just don't have time and I just don't really know that much. God, I know better. Which is a form of saying, God, I do not trust in your words. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us not buy into these lies. We have been given the word of God. We've been given the word of God. It's true and perfect without error or blemish. We've been given it to trust in, to rely on, and to find comfort and peace in the creator of the universe. When I was a lifeguard at the college I went to, I remember a father and a son walking in, and the son had to be no older than maybe three years old. And the father jumped into the shallow end of the pool and he, he stuck out his hands and he told his son, jump to me. And the son would walk close to the edge and he would look and then he would slowly back away. And he would look and walk close to the edge again and then he would slowly back away. The son was not trusting in the words of the father. And then, about five minutes later, the son ran, jumped into his father's arms. His father caught him and let out this loud, Daddy, you, you caught me. He jumped because he trusted the words of his father. Brothers and sisters, because the word of God is true, we can have certainty in what has been written to us. We must wake up every morning fighting to remember this truth. Because it's hard sometimes waking up in the morning or going to sleep wanting to read the word of God. Life sometimes gets busy. but that should not stop us. We must fight to remember this truth that what our God has written down can be trusted. We can have certainty even when we don't feel like it. We can have certainty that when Jesus says, if you are weary and burdened, heavy laden, come to me and find your rest. We can have certainty that if you are anxious or stressed out, that God will care for you. The birds of the sky have a place to live and they've got food to eat. And if you are my child, how much more do I care about you than one of these birds? We can have certainty that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have been sealed 
and the good work that he has started in you, he will bring to completion. And oh, lest we miss the warnings, we can have certainty that if we are lukewarm, we will be spit out and will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Luke is telling us in the beginning of this account is that since God's word is true, we can have certainty that what has been penned down has happened. It has authority behind it. That what has been taught then is relevant today and that the life and the ministry of Jesus, his death and resurrection, it's true for us just like it was true for them in first century. And so I want to ask one last question. Now that we have seen that God's word is true and that we're starting this gospel and that we've seen that Luke has given us an orderly account from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And as we may read scripture throughout the week, are we trusting in the word of God? Are we reading and obeying the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you inspired and led your servant Luke to write an orderly account for us to look through Would you use this to encourage those that need encouragement? Father, please use this as a time. Be gracious to us, Lord, and remember us. Use this time. I pray this in your son Jesus' holy and blameless name. Amen.